Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to the third Sunday in Lent. As I hope you now realize, because you've watched these or you've been here on a Sunday morning, we are going the six Sundays of Lent through these stories of folks in the Bible who make terrible, terrible decisions. So the purpose of Lent is to prepare us for Easter. Remember, it's the six Sundays before Easter. And so we are looking at these different characters and their bad decisions. Not just so that we can say, oh, what a terrible decision, but we're, we're holding it up to ourselves as a mirror, looking at what's going on in their lives and asking ourselves, is, is any of that true in us? As we prepare ourselves to celebrate the good news of the death and resurrection of Easter. So this week, we're going to look at the character of King Saul. Now, he is a major character in the Old Testament. He appears throughout a, you know, a couple books. So we are going to look specifically at a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. So get your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. While you're doing that, I'm going to just give you a little background information, enough to know what's going on. Uh, Saul lives in the 1000s BC, so we're about 400 years after last week's sermon on Korah, and he is the first king of Israel. If you remember from last week, the Israelites were camped out in the desert because they didn't want to go into the land of Canaan, but then that generation dies, and the next generation does go in, and they live in that land for the next almost 400 years, and in most of that time, they're really just a loose confederation of tribes. There's no central government. They have a central religion. They have the Levites, like we talked about last week. Korah was a Levite, but there's no centralized government until at this point in the late 1000s BC, the people ask for a king. They specifically ask for someone to lead their armies, that they want to unify their armies, unify that part of the government. They want someone to lead them in battle. And God says, okay. And God, through Samuel, who is the priest, who is a prophet as well, God anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. And Saul starts out so well. He has such promise. Part of what makes this story such a tragedy is that Saul begins as a really, really good guy in the scriptures. But in the end, he has ended up on the side of the bad boys, and hence we're looking at him today. Saul begins with such promise, but he rules over 40 years. This story takes place somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere around year 20, you know, give or take a few years. We don't know exactly. Um, And you see the issues. You see the problems that go on in Saul's life. So turn with me and now read with me 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. And then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Sur along the eastern border of Egypt. 
He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor and he has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of the death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, and Saul went up to his home in Gibeath of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we're told at the beginning of this story that God gives a mission to King Saul, go and destroy the Amalekites. And if you remember, when we studied Joshua and the city of Jericho, God says the same thing about the Amalekites, or it's actually about a city of the Amalekites. They're a a spread out, like a confederation. God tells them to destroy this one city. He says the same thing he said about Jericho. He said that they are 
banned. The NIV that I'm reading from translates it totally destroyed. Your version may say something different about they're, they're under a ban or they're banned. And it's the same word as Jericho. It means that God has declared that all of this is his and it is off limits. If you remember, we said when we looked at the passage back in Joshua that God claims ownership over the whole world. Every person, every animal, every blade of grass, every wave light from the sun, all of it, God says it's all his. And sometimes he requires it back. Sometimes he says to people, I gave you life and now I am taking it back. And that's what God says about the Amalekites. And he places them under the ban. They are to be totally destroyed. It means no one can take anything. Everything is to be destroyed. It's all God's, and so it's all going to be restored back to God. And so Saul goes off, and he wages war, and he destroys them. But we begin to see some issues in verses 8 and 9. It says in verse 9 that Saul and the army, they spared Agag, the king. They didn't destroy him. And they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. They weren't willing, it says, to totally destroy them. They weren't willing to ban them. They didn't want to destroy these things, so they didn't. And that leads to verse 10, words that I hope if you're a follower of Christ that you never ever want to hear God say about you. God says to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. He is not obeying me. And this, we're told, upsets Samuel terribly. He cries out to God that night, and then he goes to meet Saul. And when he meets Saul, Saul greets him by saying, great news, I have obeyed the Lord. And if you don't think the Bible's funny, just look at verse 14, Samuel's response to Saul's proclamation, I have obeyed. Samuel says, really? I'm hearing quite a lot of sheep if they were all destroyed. I, Sounds like a lot of cows are moving around. How do cows that were destroyed make noise? Samuel gives Saul a chance. Like Saul, I don't know if this is like a preemptive strike or what, but Saul greets him with great news. I have obeyed God. And, and Samuel just says, no, no, you haven't. I can prove it. Look at all these sheep and cattle that should have been destroyed. He gives Saul a chance. And so what does Saul say? What's his response? Does he come clean? No, not at all. Look at verse 15. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. So the first thing he does is he puts it off on somebody else. Well, it's not actually me. It's the soldier's fault. Oh, and we're going to destroy them. We're going to sacrifice them. You know, technically we haven't obeyed, but we are obeying. We're going to sacrifice them. Isn't that great? And of course, Samuel is having none of it. He, he's not gonna play semantic games on whether you have or have not obeyed. He's like, Saul. And so he explains it to him. He gave him this first chance of like, you haven't done it. Look at all these sheep and cattle. And Saul's not going to admit what he's done. So now he explains to him what's going on. Saul, God made you king. It's not your own power or strength that did this. God made you king. God gave you a mission. He sent you to do this. You haven't done it. And so Samuel ends in verse 19. Why? Why did you not obey? He's giving Saul a second chance to explain himself. A second chance to say why he hasn't obeyed. Does Saul take the chance? Does he confess? Does he acknowledge it? No, he doubles down. 
He stays right with it. Look what Saul says in verse 20. I did obey. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And now we get all of the accepts and everything else. Well, except for Agag and except for the sheep and the cattle that the soldiers took. They took the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to him. Now, think about what he's just said. Because remember, this word, devoted, it means it's banned. It belongs to God. You can't touch it. Saul says, we took the stuff that God told us not to take in order to give it to God. We took the stuff that God said belongs to him, and so we couldn't have it, so that we could then give it back to him as an offering. You know, we've talked all these weeks about how these guys making terrible decisions, they twist reality in their mind. Cain murders his brother, but he twists it around to where he's the victim. Do you remember Korah's two associates? They refuse to go into the promised land, but they twist it upside down, and it becomes Moses's fault that they're not here. And here's Saul trying to justify, no, no, absolutely. I absolutely did everything. And okay, maybe I didn't absolutely did everything, but I I took things I shouldn't have taken so that I could give them back to the God who told me not to take them. He's just flipped things totally upside down. And now if you have a Bible that distinguishes between prose and poetry, so like I'm reading from the NIV and it does that. Some some Bible translations, they just, every verse is its own line. But if you have a Bible where, you know, it lists things out in paragraphs and sections, then you'll notice that this section looks like poetry. Things start to get indented and, and lines flow and line up because Samuel's prophesying now. They're not having a conversation anymore. Samuel is speaking as a prophet, and he is prophesying over Saul. And so he goes into verse. He goes into prophetic verse, and he says to Saul, Saul, you didn't obey. He just says that over and over again. You didn't obey, and what God cares about is obedience. You haven't done what God told you to do. You haven't done what God wanted you to do. And he ends with this terrible proclamation at the end of verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And again, that is a prophetic statement of justice on Saul. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Here's the consequences. So now Saul's got no choice. He can't play this game he's tried to play. I mean, really, if you count his initial, hey, great news, I've obeyed. Three times now he has tried to say, oh, I've absolutely done it. When the evidence that he hasn't is all around him, the sheep and the cattle and the king he's taken as a hostage. There's nothing he can do. And so in 24, he finally acknowledges it. I've sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. I get that. Like, it doesn't excuse Saul's sin, but I totally understand that. In this day and age, there are no standing armies. These 200,000 guys that Saul brought with him, they're not his soldiers that he pays to be at the ready when they need to fight. He called them up. He just sent out word, and farmers and blacksmiths and herders and carpenters, like, like they all gathered up their weapons and came to fight. They're not paid. What they get from fighting is plunder. They get the plunder of the cities that they take. Only in this case, they're not going to get that because everything in this city is 
banned. It is devoted to destruction. It belongs to God, and God has said, I am taking it back. You cannot have it. So all those soldiers who have fought, they're not going to get paid for this as they expect in plunder. I can understand that Saul's got 200 angry soldiers who all are taking plunder like they expect to, and he doesn't want to stop them. Now, he should. He's the king. That's his job. It's not an excuse, but I understand it. Now, what should Saul do next? Like, he's been found out. He's tried to play the, oh, yeah, great news, I've obeyed. No, that doesn't work. Well, I've mostly obeyed. I've technically obeyed. I'm in the process of being like, he, he's tried to run that through, and it hasn't worked. Judgment's been pronounced on him. He knows it. Samuel knows it. He admits it. What should he do next? The next thing he should do is obey. That's what he's been told to do all along. That's what he's been judged for. Saul, you're not obeying God. And he's like, yep, you're right. I didn't obey. The next thing he should do is obey. The next thing he should say, I mean, he's claiming that all these sheep and cattle are here to be sacrificed. Well, there's Samuel, the priest. Let's get on with it. The next thing he should say is, you're, you're right. You're right. I've disobeyed God. Let's go sacrifice the sheep. Right, come on. L l let's, let's go obey is that what he says next? No, no, nothing like this. Look at what he says after, you know, I, I've violated, I've sinned. I, I was afraid of the men, verse 25. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. He is not saying what he should be saying. I didn't obey, you're right. I will now obey. P please come with me, Samuel. Let, I, I will obey. What he's saying is, please come back with me to the tabernacle. They haven't built the temple yet, which will be the center of religious focus. That won't get built for another couple generations. Solomon, the third king of Israel. Saul is the first, as we said. But they still have the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, what we saw in that story about Korah last week. That's still set up in the town called Gilgal. That's why Saul is heading there. Saul is going to Gilgal to have a victory celebration. They're going to go to the tent of meeting and they're going to praise God, quote unquote, that there, he, they've done it. They, he's, he's obeyed God. They've destroyed the Amalekites. Saul does not want there to be any visible rupture between him and the prophet and priest who made him king. He doesn't want anyone to know about the proclamation that was just given to him. You will not be king. God is rejecting you for the kingship. What Saul wants is for Samuel to come along with him to this celebration in Gilgal where he will offer sacrifices and everyone will say, oh, oh, great job. And Samuel's response is just, you know, like, you're not listening to me. No, I'm not going to come back with you. If you not heard what I said, you have disobeyed God. God has rejected you. You rejected God. God rejected you. And Samuel spins and turns and starts to walk away. And Saul grabs him by just the edge of his garment and it rips. And Samuel turns back to Saul. You know, he's clutching that ripped piece of cloth. And Samuel's looking at him like, Saul, that's you. Don't you get it? That's you. You're just going to be hanging on to tattered remains because you won't obey. And again, now, like not only, you know, Samuel has given him a couple chances. Samuel has prophetically spoken over him. Now there's actually been an object lesson. He's, he's holding on to this torn piece of cloth. Now does Saul get it? Now does Saul turn and say, oh, 
Yes, yes, we will obey. I will obey. I will do what's right. No. No, look at verse 30. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul's not sorry he disobeyed. He's not trying to make things right. He's not upset that that he hasn't done what God told him to do. Even though, again, he's been given so many chances in all these different ways. Just questioning why, a prophetic utterance, an, an object lesson, holding that torn cloth. All of these chances he's been given to say, you're right, I need to obey. It's not what he cares about. He doesn't care that he did anything wrong. What he cares about is that he got caught that Samuel saw through all his excuses. He was going to spin this as a great victory and his great obedience. And Samuel didn't let him do that. And what he most cares about is that Samuel come back with him. He doesn't want to obey. And I think it's really interesting in verse 31 that Samuel goes with him. You know, there's nothing in here where God is speaking one way or another. God doesn't say don't go or or go. I I think probably that's Samuel being kind to Saul. Like Saul has just got it so tightly in his mind, right? We're going to go back to Gilgal. We're going to have the celebration. Samuel and I will be there. Everything will be good. Uh, Maybe, again, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But I wonder if Samuel is thinking to himself, okay, maybe if we do this, then he can obey. Maybe if we can get past the victory celebration, if we can go and worship the Lord together in front of everyone, in front of the elders and the people, if everyone can see this. Maybe Samuel's thinking, you know what? Saul can't let go of this. We'll we'll do this, and then he'll obey. I don't know if that's what Samuel was thinking, but I do know what the text tells us. Who is it who finally obeys? After the victory celebration, who is it? who finally does what God says. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. End of verse 33, Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Saul never obeys, never. He claims he's going to. Oh, we took all this stuff to to sacrifice. We're gonna sacrifice it to the Lord our God. He doesn't do it. He has the celebration. He has the worship service, quote unquote, where they would make the sacrifices. He doesn't do it. Samuel has to obey for Saul in the end. And that has been the consistent pattern of this story. If you've noticed, Samuel continually talks about obedience. Like every time he opens his mouth, he is talking about obedience. What Samuel cares about is obedience. What Saul cares about is appearance. He wants to look good. Do you remember what he was doing when Samuel went to get him? We didn't comment on it at the time, but look back in verse 12. Samuel gets up the next morning after God says, okay, okay, I'm not gonna do this with Saul anymore. He's not obeying me. He goes to meet Saul. Saul's not where he expects to find him. He's told, oh, Saul has gone to Carmel. That's another town in Israel. And he has set up a monument in his own honor. What Saul is concerned about is that everyone know about his great victory and what he's done. He set up a monument so all the people think well of him. What does he want Samuel to do? Come back with me. Honor me before the elders. Honor me before the people. Samuel cares about obedience and Saul cares about appearance. 
And Samuel cares about what God thinks. That's what he talks about over and over and over again in this passage. This is what God says. This is what God cares about. This is what God wants. Samuel is concerned about what God thinks about Saul. And Saul isn't. Saul is concerned about what others think about him. He isn't worried about what God says about him. He's worried about what the people will say about him. He's worried about what the army says about him. He's worried about what the elders of Israel say about him. Saul is completely unconcerned with what the Lord thinks about him. He is concerned with appearance. He is concerned with other people. Now, I tell you in all these messages, right, we're not looking at these guys' bad examples so we can just kick them when we're down and say, oh, wow, what's wrong with that loser? We're holding the scriptures up as a mirror before our eyes. We're asking ourselves, is there any of that in me? So church, let me ask you, just like we did with Cain, just like we did with Korah and his associates, is there any of this in you? Like, what do you actually care about? What is most important to you? Is obedience the most important thing? If you have to choose between appearance and obedience, which will you choose? Like, if it looks like you obeyed, if other people think you've obeyed, is that enough? Or do you care? whether you have actually obeyed. Whose opinion matters most to you? If you have to choose between the opinions of others and the opinions of God, and I'm not saying you always have to choose. There's lots of times you don't, but there's lots of times you do. And oh, scripture says there are days coming when we absolutely will have to choose. If you have to choose between what others say about you, how others feel about you, and what God says about you, how God feels about what you're doing, which will you choose? Because, you know, Jesus warns us about exactly the same thing. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, and he says this in verse 44. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? That was Saul's problem a thousand years before Jesus. And it's our problem 2,000 years later. We seek glory from one another, It matters so much what other people say and how other people perceive us, our appearance. Do, Do we look like we're doing a good job? Do other people say these good things about us? Samuel reminds us what matters is obedience. What matters is what God says about us. And what about you? Like, Be honest, ask yourself, what do you care most about? Do you care most about what the Lord says about you or do you care most about what other people say? Do you care most about about obedience? Or do you really care most about appearance? Because remember where we're going. We've done this for all the guys that we've looked at. The reason we're doing this is because we're in Lent and we're headed towards Easter. What happened to Saul because he disobeyed? He was rejected. He was rejected as king because of his sin. Easter tells us that will never happen to us. If you are a follower of Christ, you will never be rejected because of your sin. Why? Because Jesus was rejected in your place. We've seen that with all three of these guys. We talked about, you know, Cain is on this terrible trajectory, this slide that will eventually take you to hell. But we said, even though we make those same bad choices, we will never have to ride them to hell. Why? Jesus did. 
Jesus did that for us. We talked about Korah and his associates and what happened to them because of their sin. The ground opened up and swallowed them and we said, the ground will never open up and swallow us. Why? Because it opened up and swallowed Jesus. And again, it's just as true in this story. Saul was rejected by God because of his sin. If you are a follower of Christ, you will never be rejected by God because God rejected Jesus instead of you. Jesus hangs on the cross and he says to his father, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is rejected by God so that he never has to reject us. We will never suffer what Saul suffered. We don't look at these things in ourselves in order to to be afraid that God might reject us. He won't. We look at these things because we know we will never be rejected. We know that God loves us. That, That as Paul says in Romans, he's poured out his love into our hearts through his spirit. Christ has died for us. He's been rejected for us. And we want to live lives that please him. We want to be people who care about obedience over appearance. We want to be people who care about what he thinks, not what everyone else thinks. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to respond to him in obedience. We want to respond to him by not being like Saul. So I'm going to close as I always do. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God's Spirit, and I've been praying that as I work on this message up until now. I'm going to ask God's Spirit to, to speak to us specifically. Speak to me, speak to you, speak to everybody listening. Are there ways we do this? Are there ways we care more about appearance than we do about obedience? Are are there ways we're far more concerned about what this person or that person or that group thinks about us than what God thinks about us? I'm going to ask the Spirit to very specifically point that out to us. If he does that, or or maybe he's already done it as we've talked about this, he's nudged you about something. If he does that, then repent. Say, Say you're sorry. Tell God you don't want that to be true. That yes, that is true, but you don't want it to be true. Because he has loved you, because Jesus has been rejected for you, you don't want these things to be true in you anymore. And if the Spirit points out any place to you where you're not obeying, where you're not doing what you know God wants you to do, then tell him you will obey. Ask him for help and for courage and for determination and obey. Don't be Saul. If the Spirit points out anything in your life, like, hey, God told you to do this and you're not doing it, or God told you to stop doing this and you haven't stopped it, there's anything that the Spirit says to you about obedience, then say yes. Say yes. Tell him, yes, you want to obey. Ask for his help, the the help of the one who has died for you and wants to help you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, we confess what we have confessed the past two weeks, that the bad decisions that drive these men forward, they drive us too. That we have the same thing in us that Saul has, that same desire to justify ourselves, that same desire to make it look like we obeyed rather than actually obeying. We care far more so many times about what others say instead of you. Lord, we repent. We're sorry. We don't want to be those people. We know. We have total confidence that we will never be rejected like Saul was because of what Jesus has done for us. But in response, Lord, in response to your great love for us, we don't want to be Saul. We want to be people who obey. We want to be people who care what you think about us, who strive to live lives that please you because we are responding to you. We're not getting you to do anything for us. You have already done it.
Lord, help us. I pray for my brothers and sisters now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak specifically to us. You would speak specifically about ways in which we have not obeyed and we need to. You would specifically point out to us ways that that we have cared more about getting glory from others, as you said in the book of John, than getting glory from you, caring what you think. Holy Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone listening that you would speak to them, that that they would know it's you telling them that, that here is an area where they need to obey. Here is an area where they need to stop worrying about what others say about them and worry more about what you say. And then Jesus By your spirit, give us determination. Give us courage. Help us to obey you. We pray all these things in your name, Lord, always. Amen.